0: This is the Organizational Health Advantage podcast with Keith Hadley and James Spelton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Org Health Advantage podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because Kevin Hambly is joining us. Kevin is the head coach for the women's volleyball team at Stanford University. I've known Kevin for a long time as we played against each other when he was at BYU and I was at UC Irvine. Kevin has a long list of accomplishments. When he was at BYU, he ended up being a first-team All-American in 1995. He led the nation that year in blocks. And he really helped put BYU on the map. He'll talk about the win-loss record that the team had before he and a bunch of other great players got there. He'll also talk about how he really, they really bonded together and became a great team. After his playing career, he got into coaching and eventually became the head coach at the University of Illinois, taking them to the finals for the first time in 23 years. He then joined Stanford and amassed a winning record right from the start. I'm really excited for you to hear about Kevin and hear him talk about how important team culture is in preserving a championship culture. He talks about self-doubt and self-awareness, building peer-to-peer accountability, and what he looks for in recruiting. These are great takeaways, whether you lead a college team or lead a business. So without further ado, here's Kevin Hambly.
1: James, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about leadership as a cool topic.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. I know your, your season is coming up and, you know, I think it's still in question whether or not it's going to happen, but I know this is kind of a busy time for you folks.
1: Well, it's busy making plans that where we keep making plan after plan after plan and maybe 3% of the plans we make are actually, we're going to actually be able to execute. It's like we make plans and then things get moving and changing and it is what it is, but um, it's been an interesting time to try to problem solve as a leader of a program, you know? And so I find I think it's been stimulating actually, to be honest. Yeah. Just to have new problems to have to solve, uh, which has been kind of cool.
0: You know, actually let's this wasn't my plan, but let's let's dive into that a little bit because yeah. I know I've got leaders who who are dealing with like changes all the time right now, you know, from, from March and who've implemented plans and had to change them right away. How do you go about planning for a season that might not happen and, and talk about how that's even evolved over the last few months?
1: Well, I mean, so the first part of that is, of course, like, you know, the athletes and the minute everything got canceled, all of their, uh, all the other, like the athletes that were in the spring and the winter for season our fall athletes who felt fortunate to get through their season. All of a sudden saw all their buddies' seasons right. get canceled. And some of them lose that year after playing, you know, a month of their season. Right. And then other ones, like our women's swim team, who was the favorite by far to win a national championship um, about to hop on a flight one day later to go to the national championship with an incredible opportunity to win their fourth championship in a row and then have that canceled and have no chance to make up that year. So a lot of what we're, you know, is just the messaging to the athletes about, you know, and dealing with the anxiety, them dealing with the anxiety and the messaging of like, Hey, let's, you know, there's a lot of that's focused on the positive. like we're all healthy, you know, those kind of things. Like we're living in yeah. running a historic time. Um, so a lot of it's managing that. But then on the other side of it, you know, our, our season and our the date that we're supposed to come to campus within the last month has changed five times. They keep changing mm-hmm. it and backing it up. And so um, we're just trying to like come up with the principles of how we want to operate and like what are the things that we need to look out for and then make those as, Kind of, and this when I say we, there's lots of layers of that. There's the Pac-12 coaches that are all trying to work together inside of our conference. Right. There's our coach. There's our administrators and coaches at Stanford, and then there's my immediate coaching staff. And I feel at all three of those levels, like we're just coming up with a ton of plans. I'm hoping that we're gonna have a season, and then. Kind of, we've developed principles of what needs to happen there, and what it should look like, and how do we keep the athletes safe and healthy? And then we're just waiting to say go and figure out which one of these plans that we're going to be able to use. And so, a lot of us have spent a lot of conversations uh, with within administration staff uh, and other coaches. Um, but I, I'd say the bulk of my time is trying to still connect with my athletes once every couple of weeks to make sure they're okay on a one-on-one basis through Zoom, so we can look on them in the eyes and then just help them manage all the. Uh, eyes like virtual eyes um, so we can manage the just the stress that they're dealing with
0: yeah yeah that makes sense yeah yeah totally it does um you know a couple of things resonate with me uh, on that first is i bet back in uh in march timeframe. uh first of all were you folks in off-season training at that time We just
1: had our second to last week of winter training. We were getting ready for, which is a really short, we were in quarters. So our big time to train is actually in the spring, which would have been started. We would have started early April. So we missed all of spring training, which that brings a level of anxiety to these high functioning, high performing athletes that also, by the way, feel like they need to uh, win a national championship last year because we've won the last two, you know, so they are, and they are all these new players and they're super anxious about all that stuff. But we had. A total of seven practices in the, oh. in the winter because we're going once a week and then a lot of individual stuff, but 17 practices, that's all we had. And yeah. then it was all shut down and we went home. So,
0: yeah. And I, I, I would think that even though they were watching their friends and, and other sports get those seasons canceled and, uh, you know, just crushing for the women's swim team, I bet in the back of their mind, everybody was thinking, yeah, but our season will still happen. Totally, you know, and 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 even maybe, you know, May or June, we're thinking like, we're still in a good place, you know. Yeah, yeah. And now, yeah. It's well, like, should, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's who knows what's going to happen? Well, yeah. I mean, Major League Baseball just shut down, right? Because
1: they had all those cases right now. So who knows if the season will happen? It seems more and more unlikely. But when, March twelfth was the last date we were there, right? So yeah. that was the last day we were there, and that's the last day I've been in the office. And when we left, we thought it'd be three to four weeks, and we'd be back. That's what we thought. And then all of a sudden inside those three to four weeks, it was like no spring. Everyone's going back. And and the the further this has gone along, just seems like we just keep cutting things down. And it's, you know, originally it's like, let's get them, let's give us six weeks to train. Maybe we're coming back early July. And now it's like, we backing we're backing everything up and we're hoping to get started August 14th, which is later than we're supposed to start. and our season's been backed up. We lost a whole month of season no, whole five weeks of season as far as competition and but you know what when you talk to the athletes, all they want to do is play they just want to compete yeah. they just want they actually totally. they just want to be together and they want to train and they just want to yeah. compete and that's all they're yeah. talking about. Uh, I mean I, i'll I'll share this with you. we're looking at because our county we want, we're not allowed to talk about some problem solving things like, Um, our county is not allowing indoor training. And so um, right now we are looking at outdoor courts on our tennis court, training at night, under the lights. And so I am becoming an expert in sport courts, and more importantly, subflooring and moisture protection and all this stuff. So like so we're talking about all these interesting problem solving. I am learning a ton about sport courts, just trying to figure out how best to solve this, how to fit, how to put them on the court, look at the lighting, and make it as close to an indoor kind of feel as possible. So uh, yeah. when I bring that up to the athletes, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm making all these plans and I realized like, I haven't even talked to these guys. Like, how do they feel about this? We had a zoom call on Wednesday and I just said, Hey guys, you know, like what do you think about this idea of training outside? Let me tell you what this would look like. Cause like I see their faces were kind of like, they were scared. I'm like, we're going to train outside, you know, under the lights. It'll be a little bit cooler. We're going to cover the courts during the day. Like that's the plan that we're looking at. And they were all like, glad it's not during the middle of the day. We didn't want to worry about hats and sunglasses and all right. that. Like, no, I don't right. want to worry about sunburns. That would be stupid. So we're doing it at night and they were like, that's great. All we want to do is play. Kevin, all we want to do is get together and we just want to train. So yeah. whatever it takes to train, thanks for working on the solving, trying to solve those problems. That's literally all they want to do. So anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. It's weird. It's just weird. Yeah, it's just weird. weird, weird. weird. Um, the other thing that res- resonated with me with that first answer was connecting with everybody one-on-one and, and Zoom. And, you know, a lot of times I'm working with leaders and, and executives who are doing so much of what you're talking about and problem solving and, you know, trying to focus on their business and making sure stuff gets done that they often forget about connecting with their employees. Yeah. And, and I saw a stat recently that said something like 65, 75% of employees have said their bosses haven't even asked them how they're doing during this time. Yeah. yeah.
1: So how important That's is that? Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. No, this I mean, way.
1: it's yeah, it's really important. I mean, I like what we talked about actually. So instead of just looking at it as like, we need to do this, like to preserve ourselves, like let's look at as, what, what opportunities are provided by the situation right now. Like what actually can we do as opposed to like, how do we play defense? How can we be offensive and get stuff done? And so right. some things that we've done is like, we had our, we had cultural talks, like as far as like core values and all that diving back into that. I lost a lot of seniors. And so we're, we we're, we inventing our team at some level so let's reinvent like our core values and go over that so we did all that stuff but also this zoom thing was something that none of us used ever before and we're so normal at this instead of just looking at zoom in class let's do let's make sure that you and i because i meet with every, every one of our athletes during the season once every two weeks i don't want to miss out on that let's do that through zoom but also let's get the incoming freshmen connecting more with the seniors and the juniors and the sophomores that would be their teammates and like actually work on those relationships um, and use that as an opportunity to do that because we can zoom more and NCAA still open up some rules where we can be a little bit more flexible with that. So we just try oh, to good. be a little bit more. I think the thing that I haven't done as well, you know, and I've thought about this and I just haven't, we, we do check in weekly or daily as a staff, like we do a zoom daily as a staff and I'll usually ask right. how they're doing. But like, I, I haven't done enough one-on-ones with our staff. You know, I'll check in and call and all that stuff. But I'm much better with the athletes than I have been with my immediate staff and probably something that I need to, be able to do a little bit better job of. But with the athletes, I feel good about that. I feel like we've actually – we're closer now because of this, partly because we're all struggling with stuff. And I hear their frustration. And it opens up an opportunity to be vulnerable and talk about things, and that's been great. Uh, but also like we're being very intentional about making sure that we're all connecting more. And uh, I think that's helped out a ton. And in our weekly zooms, they're talking, I've given them an assignment of them talking about topics that are important to them. So whether that's a Ted talk or an article or like a, one of our athletes did a, um, It's going to sound kind of corny, maybe or kind of goofy, but we did a um, show and tell on any topic, anything we wanted to yeah. we just went around the zoom and it was super cool. But that was really cool because we got, it's just bringing us closer together. So, as a group, we intentionally talked about like, what are the opportunities that we can, that this gives us? Like, we're in this historic time. What are the opportunities that we have at this moment? So, instead of just feeling bad, sorry for ourselves, let's take advantage of whatever opportunities that we can kind of create in this. And I think we've done a good job of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, You mentioned core values. So, I would love to get your thoughts on that. As, As you probably know, we at the table group talk about core values with all of our clients. What, I, yeah. what I'm interested in hearing about is not only your core values, but the idea that you might change them based on, you know, different groups that you have or like, yeah. clearly, you had a great senior class this past year that, that had a lot of great success. And you're, you're looking at maybe changing your core values now. So talk about that.
1: Yeah, well, I would say okay, a couple of things. The reason to change the core values. So if we look at core values, the most important thing is buy-in, right? So we want to get buy-in. And for me, it always made sense. So I've been a part of groups where people are just giving me the core values. Like Uh Carl Miguel is my coach. He's like, here's our values. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Carl. But they had no meaning for me because they're just put in my hand. And I read them and yeah, trust. I know why that's important. And hard work, I know why that's important. But I never felt like they were mine. And so for me, part of the value in talking about the core values and going over that is that I want that buy in. So if, they, if it's their values, the players create the values and they're theirs, then um, that they're going to have more buy in. But I think the thing that it, I thought that was important when I first started leading teams, you know, and being, having my own team and being a head coach, I thought that was important. But what I found is that the conversations and the stories around the creation of those values really solidify the, the feelings and the thoughts that we have and the principles that we want to operate under and those conversations, even if we don't think about the words all the time, we remember those conversations and we remember like what the culture is that we're trying to create and that idea of the storytelling around those values and the creation of those and the conversations around those become probably more powerful than the actual values themselves. Like uh, and I would say that our values usually look pretty simple. Like, as far as, like, from group to group to group, they have some idea of hard work and some idea of trust and some idea of a growth mindset and some idea of accountability or, uh, you know, something like that. And they all kind of look very similar to that and, uh, but, and integrity and things like that. But, um, but they, they feel like to that group that they're unique because they've created them as a group and that they're theirs. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love, by the way, I love where this conversation is going because without you knowing it, you're touching on so many subjects I wanted to get into. Cool. Yeah, cool. Um, I feel
1: relieved then. I feel relieved. Yeah, no, this is
0: great. This is great. So what I, the first thing I want to touch on is, you know, we feel like we, we probably have the opposite approach to to core values, which is more similar to Carl McGowan who you brought up and who I definitely want to touch on later. Um, but the idea for us in the workplace is let's have a strong set of core values so that it helps us hire the right people, you know yeah so so I understand your idea for, around buy-in. Um, with that being said, how do you how do you recruit kids players um and what are you thinking of? not only you know, can they pass, can they hit, can they block all the all the skill set things? but how, like, what are those other intangibles that you're looking for? Um, And then my next question is going to be in the recruiting process, how are you, how are you figuring out that they're a good fit? And and I I just want to start off with an example. Um, You know, when I was coaching back in club uh, in Southern California, I coached this kid who was, I was coaching a club high school team, high school age team. There was, 17 and under I think at the time and we had a kid who you for sure know who was an eighth grader on our team Mm -hmm. who was about six three and Mm -hmm. um and I literally saw her come out of the back row for us come out of the back row on the right side and hit a ball down the line in front of the left back digger so she hit it from the back line and it bounced around like the 12 foot line and uh and my assistant coach and I looked at each other and just thought, that might be the best hit we've ever seen. <laughs>
1: yeah, as an eighth grader. As great, an yeah. eighth
0: grader. Right. But not a great teammate at all. And in fact, yeah. we had to actually ask her to leave the team. And I was like, yeah, what? You know, <laughs> and along the way, yeah. she had so many issues. So uh, enough about this this kid or my experiences. Yeah. What, what are those things that you're looking for, those intangibles, that make sure they're a good cultural fit?
1: Yeah. I mean, from a recruiting standpoint, like, I mean, like you said, that athlete, athletes are easy, The the athletic ability, the skills, those are easy to recognize. And then once you see that, that takes like, I mean, you know, it takes one swing to know if a kid can play or not. Like, you don't, you don't have to, it doesn't take that much time. And you know, you watch him play for five minutes. You know, if they are going to be a player that can actually compete in your gym. So the rest of the time that we're standing around as coaches watching, at least when I'm standing around, I am, I guess I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm intentionally asking this question, but this is the question that's kind of rattling around in my head as I'm watching them. I'm going, would I want to play with this athlete? What do I want to coach this athlete? And just look at how they interact with their teammates, how they operate, you know, like, and if by watching them, you get a sense that you do, I- I'll say this, a lot of athletes, when I'm, when I first watch them or I'm going to first evaluate them, I stand like three courts away. And people that don't know, like, you know, cause you've lived this life, but when you get in a gym, there's a hundred courts. Imagine a hundred yeah. courts with eight teams coming off those courts and over the whole day, uh, with 14 kids on each one of those teams or 12 kids. I mean, there's thousands of kids running around and like they're all stacked up next to each other. And so I will be. I'll watch the match of the kid I'm trying to evaluate from a couple courts away because I don't want her to know that I'm there, and I just want to watch to see what they interact when no one's looking at them and what are they like as a teammate? Because you, we all know that the kids that want to really play college bad, if the right college coach shows up, the game, they change, and their attitude right. changes. So right. I'll watch from far and I'll just kind of start asking myself that question. And then if I like what I'm seeing, I'm going to go walk up to them and check them out. And so you pay attention. Then then you get him on the phone you talk to them and you do all that stuff and you get to know them. That's important. To me, the most important thing is... I want to spend the day with them. And when they, when they come on campus, the visit is huge. And I want them to, I want to put them in a room with our athletes or put them away with our athletes as much as possible. Because our athletes know what our culture is and they know what the things that we value and they know the principles we operate with. And I trust them to kind of figure out if this person fits in that culture. And I also want to spend, I want to see them tired. I want to spend a lot of time. Because over a long enough time, those, ass, those, those people will show their ass. have no other way to say it. Like you're going to, sh- if you spend enough time, if you and I spent 48 hours together, you're going to see the worst of me at some point because I'm going to be tired. I'm going to, and I want to get to that. I want to see, excuse me for that term, but I want to see their ass. Like not, figu- yeah. not figuratively, obviously not literally, but I want to see them like in their worst because I want to see what that is. And so I want to wear them down. I want to go in all kinds of meetings and I want to see what they're like because I want to see the worst of them in that moment. And then we decided at the end if it's going to be a good fit. Um, I've had athletes that we liked a lot that went through those those first two parts of the process. And I'll I'll just tell you a story. I won't name names. Like you didn't name names on the athlete you had. We had a kid on a visit. Um, They came. First thing they did is put them in room with the athletes. They were kind of like, think she's she's okay. We had an academic meeting. Then we went to lunch. And at lunch, um, already this person was starting to wear down. You could see like they were put on a good show. But they were – they treated their mom terribly during the lunch of this. And this is a, this person ended up being a top 10 recruit. And this was when I was in Illinois. Uh, and I, um, after the lunch was over, I just was like, I don't, I'm not going to coach this kid. I'm done. So I just said, I'm like, look to the mom and the kid, I'm like to the kid and the mom are standing there. I said, look, uh, I'm done. This isn't going to work out. Like, I'm sorry, but I, like you guys came a long way. Uh, I turned to my assistant oh, you guys. Okay, showing them around campus, seeing the rest of it if they want to see campus. You're, you guys are welcome to do the rest of the tour. I am not going to be a part of this. I am. I am not, this isn't going to work out. You're not coming to Illinois. I do not want to coach you. And then, why? You know, of course. Like, what are you talking about? Why? I see the way you treated your mom. If you're treating your mom that way, how are you going to treat me? How are you going to treat your teammates? I want no part of that. The mom was like, "Thank you so much." Even though the mom they they flew in and they rented yeah. cars and all that stuff because this is an unofficial yeah. visit. Mom was like, "Thank you, you know, for that," but. And I, I get it, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's just not going to work out. And uh, so, I mean, I, the kid could have helped us athletically, but that kid will destroy the culture, and preserving culture is how you win championships. It's not about – like, we're, everyone, you can find the right athletes. I mean, I don't think we had the most athletic team the last couple of years. We definitely had some great athletes, but if you went look at the athletes that Nebraska had on the other side of the net and we beat them in the final – I would say that they probably had better athletes, but we had stronger. I thought we had a stronger culture than anyone else in the country over the last couple of years. And that's one of the main reasons why we won. We certainly had great players. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we had incredible players, maybe the best libero ever and one of the best outsides, but they had one of the best, they had one of the best, uh, outside combinations I've seen in Sun and Fecky and incredible opposite. I mean, it was a well-matched, um, Physically, it was, a, it was a well-matched team, but Megan McClure is, you know, a kid doesn't even touch 10 foot, but she's a great culture kid. And I would trade her for nobody in the yeah. country because of what she brings from a cultural standpoint day in and day out. So um, I think we had, we, we worked hard on the culture and I felt good about where the culture was. And that's why, in my opinion, we won the championship
0: last that's couple great. of years. Well, I love the quote, preserving culture is how you win championships.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I think it's real.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um You mentioned something earlier, too, about accountability. Mm. Um, We think that's (laughs) such an important piece. Uh, I know you do, too. Um, How do you develop that? I know you're you're not just talking about top-down accountability from you or your assistants down to the players. How do you get that peer-to-peer accountability to happen?
1: Yeah, so this age group has a really hard time with that idea of accountability. Um, They look at it in a total or yeah when they come into our program they look at it in a total negative standpoint they look at it as like calling each other out yep and so we had to come up with this or i heard this term and we stole it because that's what coaches do is we just steal Uh, everything we're the greatest thieves ever but this term came across and i don't know where i I wish i could remember i'd love to give credit to this group but i don't know where it came from but the idea and concept of carefrontation and so Mm -hmm. like Instead of it being confrontation, it's care confrontation. And so let's frame it this way. And, and this is how we talk about it. You know, this is how we talk about is if you see someone behaving in a way that's outside of what's going to help us have success, because you care about the program and because you care about that individual, you need to address that issue in a way to bring them back into the fold. And if you don't, and what you're saying is you don't care about the success of our program, and at some level, that's sabotage for our team. And so since we've reframed that, that way, and I, you know, we, there's more stuff that we add to that. Certainly some people like, and the issues are, some issues are big and some issues are small, you know, like if it's person's not taking care of their locker room and it's creating some issues inside the locker room, I I don't need to be involved in that. Right. You know, if it's, uh, but if it's, uh, unless it blows up to some point where then we have bigger issues because we're, we're not able to actually manage that care confrontation. And so we work on that, but there's been issues culturally as a group where I've been brought in and they need to get me inside that. Like I, I'm more of a moderator with that care confrontation, but as they get better and understand that concept and the zig, they address things early. And that's, what we talk about a lot too, is like, don't let things build.
0: Like, right. don't be
1: afraid to talk about it. like, Hey, this bothers Your locker room bothers me before it's four months and you know, down the line and you haven't cleaned up your locker room and then you blow up. Uh, a story a story I tell the team, if I can indulge you with a little a random terrible story. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. So when I was in college, uh, my buddy, uh, his name was Jesse Cant, he had a VW van. And we'd all had to go to practice, lift weights at 630. And he would drive that because of parking. He'd drive the VW bus, all that was a bus, you know? And so like we had six of us in the in the, in the same house. that were all playing volleyball. We'd all ride together. And every morning he would eat peanut butter toast, right? He would eat this peanut butter toast and he'd eat it and he would go like this, make that snacking sound. So what happened in that is the first time you heard, like that's gross, but we never said anything to him. But like after two months of every morning, him going, finally, one of my teammates was like, Jesse, will you effing stop like this peanut butter thing, like that snacking sound? And he just lost it. And then of course, the other four of us just piled on, like, dude, it's gross, like, knock it off. But like, in the like, and we because we just let it build and build and yeah. build and build, as yeah. opposed to just addressing it early and getting on top of it. Because yeah. in the whole scheme of things, once Jesse knew, he stopped smacking, he stopped making that disgusting sound. from <laughs> day one, even if we were passive aggressive about it, but addressed it early and just said, like, Jesse, stop with the peanut butter smack, and that's gross. Right. And fine. Instead, now Jesse's like super upset feels awful we are are total jerks in the whole scheme of things and because we just let this build and so obviously i told that story to my team a lot just because like it's i mean ho- it's probably somewhat entertaining but more importantly they understand like these little things that bother you just address them and let's talk it out and let's let's make that stuff happen but Lots of teams, lots of groups that I've worked with, especially this age group, especially until we came up with this concept of carefrontation, weren't even willing to talk about the simple little things because they didn't want to call people out. And they just looked at it from such a negative context. And so honestly, I think this carefrontation thing, it was a, in 2017, we had a chance, to, we had a team that could win and we didn't because we weren't willing to have these, like we weren't willing to confront the issues. We weren't willing to have like real honest conversations. And it wasn't until like this concept of carefrontation that really resonated with this group. Um, allowed us to kind of deal with like address the issues whether that was internally with the group itself or at a bigger scale and talk about things and we had some major issues including things that I was doing that they didn't like but they were willing to have that confrontation with me and I thought that's all of a sudden you're starting to, I'm starting to get excited because I feel like our culture is going a direction where uh, it needed to go to be a championship level culture because it wasn't in 2017 and that's why we didn't win but the next two years we did and I thought the main change was that ability to have that care for tish.
0: Oh, that's great. That's so good. We talk about uh, peer-to-peer accountability. And then uh, a colleague and I have kind of changed it over time to permission to protect. You know, it's P2P, but now it's permission to protect. And uh, I like the same idea, like we want to protect each other. We want to protect the culture. We In a business setting, we want to p- protect the decisions we've made. You know, and when they're getting out yeah. of that place, we want to bring them back in with an arm around the shoulder instead of, you know, pointing a finger at them. Uh, totally. Lot,
1: I like that a lot. Yeah.
0: Presentation. Cool. So you you brought up BYU. And yeah. for yeah. sure, for sure, I felt like we had to start there. Um, you know, um, I, I was so I'm a little older than you. And uh, my senior year was 92, which I think was your freshman year. My freshman so, year, yeah, First match
1: so, I ever played was against you on the outside. Uh, I remember.
0: Oh, I didn't yeah. remember that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh but I know from the outside it seemed like BYU at that time, you guys were kind of had this special thing going. And what's interesting to me, and what I want to hear you talk about, is like why was that? What was going on? Because for sure you guys weren't very good before you got there no. and before that group, right? I mean, you just weren't. Yeah. Um, no. Hey, no, there are two and
1: 22 that you're yeah. Yeah.
0: We weren't very good. <laughs> and yeah. we beat BYU. And then like you come in, Jason Watson Watson comes in, Hugh McCutcheon comes in, you know, and you guys start turning that place around. So the first question I want to ask is: what made you go from leave Southern California? And go to Provo, Utah?
1: I mean, it was all Carl McGowan, like our leader. He was, um, he's just a great teacher. He was a great teacher. You know, he passed a couple years ago and uh, a few years ago now, but he was just a great teacher. And uh, we all trusted him. You know, I think we all trusted him. And I would say at that point, a couple of things happened that. You know, a lot of those guys are coaching. You just mentioned that's why you know Watson and McCutcheon and Sean Patchell and Steve Hieta and all those guys are all those guys are coaching. Steve Scott Larkin, and I think the thing that Carl, so Carl was a motor learning professor, um, but he mostly what he had was like conviction in the things he was teaching, and so you couldn't not believe what he was telling you, and he put science behind it, which helped, and that worked for him at a high level, and he was. Incredible. He wrote great practices. We worked super hard. He held us accountable, but he—I don't—he actually didn't know how to manage us very well. And so instead of him trying to like over, like, instead of him trying to really manage us at that point, he he, got—he—he would say this, and he said it a lot. He didn't know how to actually coach guys. He just knew how to like train and teach, and he understood the science of it. But it wasn't until I think after we left, and especially like '99, 2000, that he really became a great coach and managed the guys and more of the soft skill stuff. But what he did is he let us manage a lot of that stuff and I think that's why you see a lot of us as coaches like he would come in and he'd give us some information but like the conversations that we had amongst us like in our huddles uh, he just he recruited the right guys that all wanted to be there to play for him which I think meant like we all were really serious about volleyball and we all wanted to learn and we were all committed like we had any and we all trusted him so then we had a lot of trust for each other too like in that whole culture and just kind of permeated everything that we could say things to each other that you know, I haven't been around a lot of teams could say, and we were just super honest and just the conversations and the timeouts were some of the best that I've ever been around. It was just incredible. The stuff like we'd make plans on the side and like, Hey, I'm going to commit on this. And like the discussion was like, like I remember against Hawaii it was 14, 14 and I'm like, it's they called timeout. Cause we're coming back and it's in the fifth set. And I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking we want to commit. And like, why do you think that? And you know, and, uh, of course, I remember the one that was centered around me because, like, well, that's how memories work, right? But this wasn't just the only time. But like, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna drop and take cross court here, and Kevin, if you if it's off, like, just go to the outside because I think it's going there. You know, all this conversation. Then you know, I commit, and we get the block, and and it was just like those kind of things were happening. Carl's like, yeah, good idea, go go. And it was it was all amongst all of us, and it was just really cool, cohesive um, group that just had a lot of trust, and so I think. Carl was a great teacher. We trusted him, and then he kind of knew his strengths and weaknesses, and allowed us to like fill what space was there that needed to be filled. And uh, we just had the right guys around. At least that's my, you know, my memories of it. That's what it felt like. So
0: for sure, for sure. And and I mean, you guys are all tight. It all it kind of seemed like a fraternity of, it Still does in a lot of ways of BYU men's volleyball players. You know, more we're so so isolated. Yo, yeah, that could be.
1: Yeah. Well yeah, I mean you guys are like at SoCal and all those guys, you guys are all hanging out and playing beach and we're yeah. just we're the guys that are in Utah, you know, like up in Mormonville. And like uh we're totally isolated. Like I don't when I go play summers with the USA, like in the USA stuff, I didn't know any of those guys. I hated all those guys. I hated all those SoCal guys. <laughs> because like you know, I was just even the men's volleyball is about talking trash and just like, yeah. you know, false bravado or like overcoming like you know, all that stuff. So I, I felt like it wasn't like, we felt isolated. So we just brought us closer together. And then, you know, that's not an easy place to go to school. There's a lot of rules and it was a tough place to go. So I thought it bred that bred like cohesiveness and, and us all spending as much time together as we possibly could. And like that was the only people I hung out with were my teammates, you know, my roommates, my the entire time I was there were Ethan Watts and Jesse Gantt and Scott Larkin and, and Sean, and, uh, um, uh Pat Sinclair like those are my roommates the whole time uh and that's those are my friends that's all we had really so i think all that kind of bred this culture i think it's the same now BYU they're pretty tight
0: yeah for sure for sure i mean you go down the the you know the years and and it's just this little fraternity even if you didn't play with like a Mike Wall or you know other yeah. guys you could still like hang out with them and like you know still kind of have the same same experiences um, yeah, you know, it's a little bit like surviving something
1: like awful because BYU, the college experience is—I mean, if you're not Mormon, it's tough, and I wasn't into that stuff, so it's a tough—it's a tough space to be. So yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah but we I survived. We survived. I hope you're not trying to get me to believe that you know it's just the SoCal guys who were talking trash through the net and, and no. you guys weren't <laughs> I, <laughs> said, I said men's
1: volleyball. I I was I was maybe the worst at that. Not okay. Right. Okay. Good, good. That. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we talked about what I what I'd love to hear though is we talked about you recruiting players. What was it about Carl in the recruiting process that made you th- like? Let's 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 put some context. You grew up in CV Valley, yeah. nice part of Southern California, warm. Yeah, and you were hot, really hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm in yeah. Arizona, so CV yeah, Valley sure, hot sure. isn't sure. Arizona hot, but uh, yeah. but no, it is warm there for sure uh but what what about Carl made you think like, yeah, there's enough here that I'm going to pick up from SoCal and go to b y u you're right, it's a Mormon school, and at the time the year before they weren't very good, two wins the year before, yeah, so right um i,
1: talk, I you know I played hoops as well, and I talked to some college coaches there as well and some some pretty cool ones like Haskins from UTEP and stuff like that, you know, like that. Oh, I was, yeah. I was, a I was either going to be a uh, small, small forward or terrible two guard. So like two like shooting guard. So I was, that wasn't ever going to work out, but I, I put, I got buckets in high school and so people thought I could play maybe. And so I had those conversations out of everyone I talked to all the coaches I talked to. I believed most in Carl as, as, being able to develop me as a player, whatever sport it was. His conviction and the amount of like the way he talked about things and um, for what, whatever it was. And it wasn't like he wasn't kissing my butt. He was happy to pull the offer offer at any point. It was more like, hey, do you want to learn or not? Do you want to be great or not? I'm the guy to talk to. You know, and it was like, you know, another other schools I talked to, UCLA and Pepperdine and all that stuff. And just for whatever reason, he just – for for me and my mentality at that time, it resonated with me a great deal. And I think all the guys that ended up being there at that time were kind of the same, cut from the same cloth, if you will. Like yeah. they all little chips on our shoulder, you know, being a valley guy, not being a SoCal guy like Beach guy. I mean, my high school had a big chip on its shoulder. We we did we did well at Royal High yeah. School, but it, yeah. but we definitely play with that chip. And I feel like Carl knew how to, like to get guys that had that chip. I mean, if you look at that team, guy from New Zealand guy from Tulsa, Oklahoma, guy from Wichita, Kansas, guy from the Valley that before the Valley had good players, you know, like really, the, especially Cine Valley or the Westlake Thousand Oaks area. Like he, he found guys that had chips, guy from Arcadia, you know, all these guys with just chips on their shoulder. Australia. It wasn't like Australia, yeah, far, I didn't mean to leave out Jason. I mean, Australia is pretty good volleyball. But anyway, uh, yeah. yeah, it was all these guys with these giant chips on their shoulder and Carl had that same chip. I think he, he, he knew we were going to be great. Yeah. He knew, like, like, I thought, I felt that way in high school. We just weren't there yet. Like we're just, BYU's not just not, the, give me enough time. You come, we got this thing. We're going to do it. And yeah. he just was really good about, I just trusted that we were going to get there. Like yeah. when we got there, it was never like, man, I can't believe we made it. Like when we actually were ranked first or second in the country towards the end of my career, um, I was never like, I can't believe we made it there. I was like, of course, that's what we are going to do right. the whole time.
0: Right. You know?
1: So, cause he just, we just believed.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's such a great turnaround and, uh, you know, in your time to go from two wins to, you know, uh, did you guys, did you win the national championship when you were there? We, or run up?
1: we didn't, we didn't, we didn't make the final four. We were a match away two years in a row. From oh, that's, the right. that's four, which, right. Okay. Which is a bummer. But Thanks. the group after me with Ryan Millar, those guys made it. Yeah. Um, like Millar, Millar kind of, I don't want to say he replaced me because he's a thousand times a better player, but he came in like right after that group and that group, that, that group of guys that came in with him and Ossie Antonetti, they ended up winning the national championship. So, yeah. well, which is uh,
0: cool. Cause you know, we all felt a part of that. And you touched on it that there have been, I don't know if there's another men's college program that is, that has produced as many coaches as BYU. I mean,
1: yeah. Maybe Ball State. Uh, cause they put out a lot of coaches, you know, especially in the Midwest, but, but uh, in recent years, I don't know if there have been more. I mean, it's incredible. And I think cause you get that love playing for Carl. And volleyball is such a big deal and you're like yeah, a big deal up there. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I know I'm coaching because of Carl, you know, there's no doubt about that. I just saw like how much passion and how to do it and, um, the impact that he had on my life. And I wanted to have the same impact on other lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. He was such a good guy. And, you know, clearly I didn't have as much exposure to him as you did, but you know, I, I got to know him a little bit and, and that club team that I told you about, he would come out and, uh, and come to our practices and, and then we'd go and get a yeah. burrito because you know that was his thing. And, um, yeah, yeah he, he was awesome. And, uh, he one of awesome. my favorite experiences was going to dinner with him, uh, Steve Obradovich and Karch Karai. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. <laughs> That's pretty
1: good. That's pretty good company.
0: Yeah. That was, that was That's so cool. much fun. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I want to jump ahead if I could, uh, yeah. to when you're at Illinois, you yeah. You uh, start as an assistant coach there. And then after a few years, you get the head coaching gig. Yeah. You know, what was that like? Because sometimes being an assistant is the best job ever.
1: Yeah. For sure. so, You're much more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned a lot. Well, so uh, that was a unique situation because we knew that uh, Don Harden, who was the head coach there before me, was going to retire. And so about 2 years into that experience Carl and the AD pulled me aside and said hey look let's make this a kind of a coaching waiting deal and we can't promise it cuz it's a state school but if things go the right direction like we feel like they're going to this will be your program and so I thought I thought Carl Carl uh, Don allowed me to kind of take over more so like my third year in there he let me start writing practice my fourth year I was kind of managing a little bit more of the culture. My fifth year was supposed to be that year where I was doing everything and I, I was, and then the next year I was gonna be the head coach. And I was I we you know, started doing things with creating our core values and started to create kind of the culture I wanted to. And I thought I knew what it was like to be a head coach until I was a head coach and realized that all the stuff that I thought was had nothing to do with it. I had to totally reinvent myself as a coach. So that was a really good wake-up call for me that like just changing that one seat. Like here, I thought I knew everything. I knew how to, my hair was still black then, right? When I was a (laughs) coach. And then I became a head coach, you just start aging faster. And, and I realized that like the burden of knowledge is, you don't, you don't understand what that is until you're a head coach, like dealing with all the, like everything that's going on. And that all of a sudden I went from the guy that everyone wants to be in your van when you're driving around, because you're going to put on the cool music to the guy that no one wants to be in the van. And it's just you, your trainer and your radio guy and whoever else, you know, is on your staff that's not driving, that's in your van. And so that just that took a while to kind of um, figure out what that meant. And I also realized that the coach that I who I was as an assistant coach, I had to be something different as a head coach completely and kinda had to reinvent myself as a coach. So for me I was a I don't know. I enjoy problem solving. So it was cool to be honest with yourself and kind of evaluate that and then like figure out how to be a head coach. I thought I knew. I didn't know. I didn't know crap. I learned a lot in those first, in those first couple of years.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. and And, yeah. you know, when you think you've got it all figured out and, boy, I've got a good relationship with these players. And then all of a sudden the next year, I don't have it all figured out. And the players who I had a good relationship with, I don't anymore. You know, it's yeah. different. It's not a bad relationship totally it's a different relationship
1: Every, everything's redefined for sure so you interesting yeah. yeah
0: and yeah, it's, it's weird and i'm wondering did you ever have a conversation with the players around that like all right let's just acknowledge you guys like it's, it's different yeah. now you're uh, you know I, I have a different you know, with my band. i have different responsibilities uh, you know, the things that maybe you would tell me or, you, you know, about what's going on on the court or things like that. Now you're going to the other, you're going to the assistants yeah. and having that conversation and not me. Like any. I, I would, I wish I could say
1: yes, because I, I think I would now, but I certainly wasn't secure enough as a coach to do that then. You yeah. know, I was I wanted to pretend like I knew what I was doing. And now I know enough to know that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just going to do my best and I'm not going to get yeah. caught up in that. Because yeah. there's no way to know. You know, yeah. and I think, there I wanted to put on, if I'm, we're being totally honest, it's like at that point I wanted to pretend like I had all the answers. And for sure. you know, now I know better. I don't have all the answers. And I was more overcompensating for it and trying to control things and taking it personal as opposed to just, you know, like – this is what it is and like lean into whatever it is and do the best job you can. And I don't expect anyone to want to hang out with me now. You know, it's not, it's like, <laughs> not even the staff, like really don't want to necessarily hang out with you. I mean, I think my wife, she's on my staff. We're on the road. She'd rather go hang out with all the assistants as opposed to me as well. And I'm okay with, I, I'm okay with that because I was exactly the same when I was an assistant. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted a break sometimes. And I,
0: yeah.
1: I just, you have to be self-aware. And uh I, I became self-aware over time certainly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, more I mean, self-aware. More self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I think about the the clients that I have who were once on the executive team and are now, you know, been promoted by the board or whoever and are now leading the executive team and they talk about the same things.
1: Yeah. I I, I don't doubt that. It's such a weird space when you're in, you're in charge. It's uh yeah. yeah, it's I a, 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 and it's like a, a, a there's nothing you can do about it. I don't think, I don't think there's any way to do anything about it, but, um, you learn how to, I learned how to enjoy it actually. and just kind of like, and there's, there's different things that come with that. Um, I think that's the the thing for assistant coaches to become head coaches. They all want to hire staff and stuff to fit who they were as an assistant coach. Whenever they ask me for advice, it's like, you don't know what you're going to be as a head coach. Actually, try to hire someone that was similar to what you were as an assistant, because you're not going to be able to fill that space anymore, and you're going to have to reinvent yourself a little bit, and then yeah. find other people to fit the things you don't think you can do, and then you're probably going to make a lot of mistakes when you're first your first time hiring because you really don't know how to hire uh, for yourself because that's hard. So, yeah,
0: absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, so that that brings up a good point because I, you know, we talk to leaders all the time you know, CEOs and presidents who kind of feel like they enjoy the relationship they have with us because we're not working for them and they could tell us more things and feel like they could be more more vulnerable or they get into executive groups where they're talking to other CEOs and presidents. So who do you, you know, you mentioned your wife is on the staff. That's probably somebody you talk to. I know she's a director of operations, but is there anybody else that you talk to like other coaching friends or probably in other conferences as opposed to the PAC 12 or yeah. who do you, you know, who do you have those? Yeah. With?
1: Well, I'll, I'll address my wife on it. Honestly, like, um, because she was on the staff, I, when we, when we became here and then she was on staff, yeah. I actually wasn't talking to her about anything because I felt like I needed to protect her a little bit. And we had a, we had to have a pretty good, I had a long conversation about that this last season, actually, because I was, because I was felt like, cause she's on staff, you know, like, the burden of knowledge is hard, like knowing everything yeah. that's going on. Like that's one of the things that no one talks about. You become, and I mentioned that earlier, but that, like you just know what's going on with every kid, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And like, I feel like I want to protect my staff from that burden of knowledge. And she was like, I was dealing with a lot of stuff as the things were going down and we had some injuries and, you know, it, just was, a, it was a rough year and trying to repeat's really hard and, and, she pulled me aside one night and was like, look, you got to st- share this stuff with me. You can't take it on. It's okay. I can kind of make the separation. And that was a good moment for us as a couple certainly and helped, but I, I have some coaching friends that I reach out to, you know, there's not a lot of college coaches um, that want to help me be better, you know, and I'm not sure like, and that's a, I'm like, and I and there are not a lot of coaches that uh, I want to help be better than our competitors. So I've had to find people outside of that, whether it's a, I have a friend that's a D2 coach. I have a couple foreign coach friends that I knew through the international game when I was fortunate to coach that. And recently I'm part of a group of coaches that are these real high level coaches from across the country. I'm not gonna mention names because it's this little thing, but we meet monthly and just talk to issues like this. And that's been a place that's safe where you can just kind of share and not worry. About judgment is really, really important. And that's made me better. And I'm picking up ideas from them and they're making me better. And I hope in turn, I'm doing the same for them. But I think finding that cohort is, is really important. You know, I, I, it's been hard to do that. I've had some friends that are in the business world that I've been able to talk to and all that, but coaching is coaching is a little bit unique, especially dealing with the athletes as opposed to dealing with, uh, you know, professionals all the time. It's, that's been valuable, certainly business wise and managing up and things like that. I learned a lot there. Yeah. Dealing with this age group of athletes, it's been nice to talk to a group of coaches. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's like six of us that that's helped out a ton.
0: For sure, for sure, that's awesome. Sure. So, it, you know, this has been great. I want to just, you know, maybe five more minutes if you don't mind. Um, so, you know, you get to Stanford three years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, you take over for John Dunning, who's been there for decades, and. Yeah had such a successful program. Talk about that. You know, leaders oftentimes have to replace somebody who's done a good job and is retiring. How did you step into that that seat? And, and what what kind of pressure did you feel you were under? What kind of pressure were you really under? How how was that taken yeah. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they win the national championship right before you got there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they did. They won the year before, and we were returning like five freshmen that were a part of that team that were really – uh, really talented. Um, let me see where to start. So, um, how did it like replacing John? I think, I think one of the things that I've learned over time, fortunately, um, is that like, I was never going to be John, right. I was not going to be John and, um, that I'm not trying to replace John, John retired. And I just need to come in and be me and be genuine and be authentic. Me. And that's worked for me so far. And I think the hiring process helped me a lot to kind of know what Stanford was, know what the athletes were like. And I came in believing that I was a good fit. And I came in with believing that, that administration believed I was a good fit. And um, that helped me a lot to kind of just come in and like they felt confident who I was and how I operated in the culture. culture is not the right term. The principles that I wanted to bring to the culture because the culture is made up of all of us, right? But like the principles that I wanted the culture to kind of be and I I wanted to, I wasn't sure I wanted to come because I if it wasn't a good fit, I had a good thing going on in Illinois. I wasn't going to yeah. go. I yeah. Wasn't going to come. And so when I came here and I was like started talking to him I'm like, "You know what? It's a great place to live and Stanford's amazing and then you got you know competitively it's 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 probably the best job in the country, but it doesn't mean it's the best job for me." And then once I started to get a feel for that uh, and I felt like, actually, I I feel like the way I operate is a great fit here. So I came in with some confidence that who I am and how I operate is going to work here. Um, the mistake I made early on, I think I was, I didn't trust that or leverage that belief that I was a good fit enough. I, you know, tra- change is hard, especially with ath- young athletes. And I wanted to kind of slow play our way into here and like imprint the, kind of the principles that I wanted. We kind of talked about it, but I didn't, I wasn't strong enough and I didn't push it enough. And it's one of the reasons why we didn't, you know, win that, that uh, first year because the culture wasn't where it needed to be. And I saw things happening inside that culture that I tolerated thinking I'd get to it the next year. But all those things that I told that I tolerated were the things that took us out. And I just wasn't strong enough. I didn't trust. I didn't, I, tr- I believe that I was the right fit, but I didn't trust it enough to like, take the actions that I needed to and kind of weed out the issues that I saw initially. Um, but to answer thing about replacing John, I never, I didn't let that enter into my mind. I just didn't, I just was like, no, he's gone. And this is what it is. I'm not replacing John. I'm, it's a new job and I'm coming and it's gotta be me. Um, the, the crazy thing is like the expectations at Illinois were the same. Once we made a final, we made an subway final in yeah. 2011, then all the external pressure that people feel that people like would put on our program everyone assumed we're going to go to the national championship every year, go to a final four every single year. Once yeah. you did that once. And, you know, and it's like, those were, it was unrealistic because Illinois is a place recruiting wise. It's not Stanford. It's a great place. I love that place, but it's going to be cyclical. And you saw we well, actually 11, we made a ten. We had a chance to go to the final four. We had an injury, which is a bummer, or we might've had a shot at it. 11, we made the final. And then, 14, we were one point away from making the Final Four again. You know, and then you go back and, like, we just missed out. Like, we're just going to be like this every four years. And then they made the Final Four with Chris there, who's a great coach, and took the kids that we recruited and made the Final Four my, like, in, in 18. And that was, like, I talked to Jordan Poulter. And as I was recruiting, I'm like, look, here's the deal. Like, your first year is going to be a struggle. 2nd We're going to be okay. Your second year, I don't have the players, but, you know, we'll be okay. But your next year, we'll make, make at least the Sweet 16. And then I think we got a shot to win it. And it was exactly like that because it's just about having the talent there. And that's what Illinois is going to be. But the external pressure, everyone thinks you're going to make it every single year. So here, everyone thinks we're going to make it every single year. But I actually feel more equipped to have that because I feel like we have the athletes in the gym, even though we lost so much, that we can, we can make that. So I honestly feel less pressure here because oh. there I felt like we had this pressure, but I didn't feel like people had no idea what they're talking about. It wasn't, right. we weren't equipped to do that. And so here right. I feel like, you know, we have the talent and it's going to be how well we come together as a team and how good of a job we do. Making sure that we um, don't tolerate uh, or tolerate the behaviors that we want, you know, and that's that's uh, I'm going to be better about that moving forward. I'm not sure that it really answered your question, but I was trying to take all those questions in and hopefully I got to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You did. What I heard in that answer was actually kind of interesting. And I just want to play it back for you, um, you know, summarize. It seems like the self awareness that you learned at Illinois, you know, as you talked about earlier, going from, you know, a a head coach in practice and in training to actually being the head coach, you know, all the stuff you learned there really served you well, and that self awareness and confidence served you well in in taking the position at Stanford after John had been there and won a national title. Yeah. and yet, I heard a little bit of like lack of confidence or insecurity that you could come in and instill your core values right away or instill what you thought was important and thought, yes. like, okay, this is probably good enough. I'll tolerate some of this stuff. I don't want to come in like new sheriff in town, is what I'm gathering.
1: Yeah, totally. 100%. I was just worried about, you know, because I, I came in to do a couple of things and, I, and the group, uh, they didn't respond. They didn't know me. I didn't didn't have enough time with them to get to know them where I could kind of imprint the things I wanted to. And then instead of like trying to fast track that, I backed up and that was a mistake. And I told them it was a mistake after we lost. And then we got back in January of 2018. So we, 2017 was my first year. I owned that. I was like, look, I allowed these things to happen. Here's the things I saw that took us out. What do you guys think? What am I missing? We had a good conversation. And then we got to, to work on changing all this stuff. And they were 100% bought in. I will say, to be honest, without that failure for all of us, I'm not sure that we would have won the last two years. Because it really, this last year after we won, they were so cognizant of making sure that we didn't just rest on what we did the year before, but that we actually made it stronger, that it really kind of helped us grow. So maybe it worked out the right way. But who knows? It was really nice to win three, of course. And anytime, anytime you have a chance to win it, you know, yeah. like you wanna you wanna you wanna do the best you can to to win that. But um I don't know that we would have won two. And they would have said they said the same thing, you know, like the couple of the players that I trust the most. They're like, you yeah, know, losing that year might have been the best thing for us because we weren't gonna we're gonna do everything we could. We had to to put ourselves in a position to make sure we could the next two, you know, and that was that was cool. You know, and I think moving forward the same like the players that have been around for that when the culture wasn't where it needed to be our hypersensitive to making sure the culture is where it needs to be now moving forward so yeah. maybe it worked out but i definitely didn't do the best job i could you're right insecurity didn't like the response and so instead of being strong about it i kind of backed up it was a mistake
0: yeah yeah no i i, I love hearing you own it and that the fact that you owned it with the players too probably helped build that relationship between them um
1: it was, uh, it was a good moment of care for for all of us right so
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah as as i'm listening to th- listening to you through this i keep thinking about um something uh the former president of pepsi told me one time and and his name is craig weatherup and he used to live here in scottsdale i got to know him it was such a great opportunity for him for me and uh And he said, we were talking about core values. And I said, do you have core values? You know, I shared with him Alan Malali's core values. He said, you know, never really thought about core values, but I think I have three things I have to do as CEO. He's like, I have to develop strategy. I have to implement strategy. And then he said, and the third one is the most important and the hardest. I have to build followership. because." I have to get people to do the things that I feel are, are important to our success, even if they don't really believe that's true. They just have to trust me on this stuff. And I just wonder what your thoughts are, because I'm hearing you talk about building followership without necessarily calling that out. But I hear that yeah. much in what you're saying.
1: Well, I I look at it more as that, um, like I mentioned with Carl, like I have to build trust. and. Yeah. I, I had on my board, you know, when I first got into coaching, I was a punk and I just yelled and screamed, kind of like I was as a player. Before you just figure out, it didn't work, you know, so right. and uh, and I, I spent a lot of time when I first got to Illinois, even the first couple of years, just trying to train athletes and just like, hey, you're going to be good if you just get trained. And I, it wasn't working either. You know, I, I kind of adjusted it and this t- this one line came by like, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care.
0: Yeah
1: that really resonated with me because as i got to know the players and as i got to know me um and they were followed you know and so for me i really just want to develop genuine real relationships with them yeah. and then they follow they follow after that it's pretty simple well, because they know where i'm coming from and i'm you know i'm like this all the time and i, I think i have to always be consistent and cause that breeds trust. Consistency breeds yep. trust. Yep. But I have to be genuine cause that breeds trust. You know, I have to really be myself and authentic cause those things breed trust and then they follow. And then the things I do, I have to tell them why, like I have to always tell them why we're doing the things we are. So that, then that always breeds trust. So in my mind, trust is the most important thing. And it's like on so many different levels about training, about me as a person with each other, like all that. And so, um, it all boils down to developing like these real genuine relationships with them and with each them developing those relationships with each other. Cause we're really about people, you know? So I I would say I have to develop leader that that helps develop leadership as well inside of our team uh, and all those things, which is a different topic. Cause I think with our groups, um, leadership is revealed as opposed to appointed, you know, like the people are just following. And so seeing, recognizing the leadership and through that, the way I recognize leadership a lot of times is through the relationships that I have with all the players and listening to them and who do they follow and all that, and then helping those people develop. Uh, so sorry, I'm going on and on about this stuff, but I think it's all about relationships for us.
0: This is great. This is great. Okay. I have three more questions for you. Cool. Really easy. Uh, actually the third one's going to be the hardest. So first okay. is, do you have a favorite leadership book out there? Like one that maybe you gift to others, or maybe you have your, Players read, or or maybe you just go back to it from time to time. A favorite leadership book. Well,
1: I mean, uh, the book that I tell everyone to have, there's two books that I tell everyone to read. Um, I don't know if they're considered leadership books, but Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should read that book, and then Five Dysfunctions the of Team. I know that's that sounds like I'm pandering to your your base but i'm not that's that's the book that my teams every one of my teams have read both those books and everyone every coach that i come across we've read those books because i think in there you can start lots of conversations about leadership and growth and core values and all those kind of things so those ones are the books that those two books are the ones that i have forced all my athletes to read and that i recommend everybody
0: well that's great and i for sure did not know you were going to say five dysfunctions so Thank
1: you. I yeah. I I almost said something else just because I didn't want to pander, but it would be a lie. So I want to be I want to be authentic, and those that's true. true.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite leadership quote?
1: Well, I mean, I think they don't they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. they don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. And then the other one is the more you learn, the less you know. And I think that one, not it's a leadership quote, but I those two things, I mean, those two have resonated with me a
0: great deal. Yeah. Awesome, those are so good. All right, here's the hard question. Back in 2013, you know, I was transitioning to uh, to the table group, but I was helping Jason Watson at ASU, and we went to Illinois to. I know what this is. Yeah, and you know, A- ASU's. You know, it's the preseason, and we're playing this big, uh, this this big school, Illinois, and you're coaching on the other side. And we're up in the fifth game and we have match point. And I think it's your right side player hits it cross court. Lizzie McMahon, yeah, who hit it out. And you know, all <laughs> of us on our side saw it out. Everybody in the gym, and well, at least the, the lines person, uh, who, by the way, was close to your bench, called it in.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh you're now It, at was, out. it was out. Yeah. It was, it was, it was out. out.
1: Okay. yeah it was out i told jason after I, so that was my hundredth win yeah coach i remember so that. so they put it they put it on a ball and 100 win i've crossed it out and written 99 on there that that was my 99th win so you can subtract one from that so i don't know yeah, i felt bad
0: <laughs> oh no, hold on no you didn't feel bad or no you. not that bad <laughs> not that bad or should you <laughs> no that's great no we yeah. uh what made that trip for us after that it, like Clearly, could have. Yeah, been. we uh, we turned around and beat Texas in three, I think. And so I was like, "Oh,
1: smashed Texas!" Yeah.
0: So that yeah. was that, that was, was
1: cool. cool. That was cool. Um,
0: yeah. Evan, this has been really fun. I, I actually wasn't sure if you were going to have fun with that answer or not. So
1: yeah. No, I'll be honest.
0: <laughs> this whole interview has been a blast, and uh, and thank you so much for thank taking you. time. Um, we went longer than I thought, just because you were giving such great information.
1: Just because I'm just talking your ear off and telling stories about peanut butter toast and stuff, I'm sorry about that, James. <laughs>
0: that's so good, and uh, no, I, it was just such a pleasure. And I so hope you guys get to play this year. You know, yeah, I hope
1: especially for our seniors they get a chance to like in the right way because that's tough. You know, I I, I hurt for them right. all the time. You, know, you can see it on their faces; they're just super stressed. But let's hope the world returns back to normal, and let's hope things start to settle down where you are yeah in arizona i know it's been rough for you guys so yeah
0: Yeah, for sure good luck
1: with all that yeah thanks jay this has been fun i like talking it's been fun to talk about this stuff challenging me for sure with these questions so i appreciate it
0: that was awesome thank you so much boy that was so good i want to thank kevin again for for joining us i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did I had high expectations for Kevin, but he blew right past those. That was awesome. A few points that stuck out for me were his quote on preserving culture is how you win championships. His uh, question during recruiting, would I want to play with this person? I don't know how many leaders and companies think that, you know, uh, are they thinking, would I want to work with this applicant? And then last, uh, Kevin's values of being consistent, genuine, and transparent about decisions. Again, so good. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com.
1: Produced by AtaVita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.